Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Research, reporting, industry analysis, information, and tokenomics. Welcome to Thriller Insights. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world. Gather around, it's time for another exciting episode of Thriller Insights. Today is October 14, 2020, and we are talking the birth of CBDCs. That's right. This has been a long time coming. <laughs> As you know, Carr likes to partake in central bank digital currencies and kind of keeping an eye out of what's going on. I'm always looking at um, what the Fed is trying to do what G20 is trying to do, what the BIS is trying to do. Uh, I'm always looking at that stuff. I, th- I find it completely fascinating. And if you would have asked me a few years ago, if I would have ever started looking at that stuff, I would have told you no, because <laughs> it was frankly boring. But believe it or not, the Bank for International Settlements has released more working papers. And don't worry, <laughs> I'm not going to bore you to death with everything that they said. But some of the stuff that they alluded to uh, got my mind thinking of where this is all headed. And a lot of the stuff we kind of already have pieced together, right? We knew that a lot of central banks around the world were already working on digital currencies, were in some kind of pilot program. Uh, we know a lot of them have based those central bank digital currencies, even though it hasn't been said around Ethereum. Uh, we can kind of see that where everything's headed, more fiat printing will occur inside of these uh, central bank digital currencies, which will allow fiat currency to live <laughs> for much longer uh, because of this, right? Because over the centuries, wave after wave of new payment technologies has emerged, right? We saw coins, banknotes, checks, credit cards. Those were all innovations in their own day. Today, it's central bank digital currencies, right? That's where all the discussion is brewing. Uh, Bitcoin started that here earlier last decade. And it was because of Bitcoin Uh, Banks saw a need to (laughs) hurry the hell up, right? They didn't want to get left behind. And then what happened? We had Tether get released here this past decade. And then we saw USDC and then little by little other stable coins started appearing. So once Libra came into the fold, we remember this from last year, that's when all central banks started taking notice, right? That was the tipping point, the announcement of Facebook's Libra. And this what caused kind of this big response in this kind of public sector that they never had to worry about before. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of social distancing measures, public concerns that cash can transmit the virus. And um, of course, there's the whole government to person payment system that they're hopefully going to launch here uh, next year when a certain president gets elected. There's going to be a shift towards digital payments. There's going to be a shift from the Fed direct uh, directing in, or direct injecting liquidity into the hands of the consumers, uh, into the hands of people that need it the most. Uh, all this are catalysts for for Bitcoin. These are things that we know. But the BIS has working papers, and I'll put a link to here in the show notes that they see the future, of course, being central bank digital currencies. And the problem with this, you know, is kind of what I like to call two plus two equals five, right? You know, you know that saying, right? Have you heard that saying before? 
Well, it comes from the book 1984, where the government had so deeply trained society inside of that book to instantly, without thought, accept any official statement as true and instantly erase the past because, as certain individuals would believe that any alternate truth from descendants, they were not a part of society. This is where you kind of had that authoritarian government like China, when they're releasing their central bank digital currency this year, it's already on a pilot program being out, sent out there retail. Um, it's in reality, if you look at something like that, it's it's far from a cryptocurrency, right? You basically have these commercial banks in China becoming the master and the public becoming the slave as these commercial banks can then write all the fiat currency they want. They can they can digitally print as much as they need. Uh, and the public, you know, gets this e-wallet and on the surface it looks like digital currency, but it, it really isn't. It's all camouflage, right? It hides the absolute totalitarian nature of this kind of tech machinery that's going on behind these surveillance walls. And it's something that we need to start slowly wrapping our head around as we get closer to what the BIS is calling the year of central bank digital currencies next year. And I know what you're saying. You're probably like, you know, Car, sure, that could start in China, but I'm not in China. I totally get it. But what was interesting is we had CFTC chairman Heath Tarbert say some really interesting stuff <laughs> that made me take notice because I was like, is he signaling to somebody? <laughs> Are there central banks out there he's signaling to? And I know he, he manages the whole commodity side. And I know he was just talking, you know, off the record, you know, right? But it still got my ears perky. Take a listen to what he says. basically say how impressed I am with Ethereum, you know, full stop period. Uh, and that when I think about this as a regulator, you know, I think of it almost uh, analogized to email versus the internet. If Bitcoin is email, you know, a one trick pony, so to speak, but obviously revolutionary, Ethereum goes far beyond that. It's more like the internet of DeFi really, number one, it's obviously revolutionary. And I think at the end of the day, could lead to a massive disintermediation of the financial system and the traditional players, and ultimately potentially even reduce systemic risk in, in some ways, because we don't have you know, the finance system concentrated in these large globally systemic important institutions. This is obviously you know, decades down the line, but it also raises a couple of other things. The, if a large portion of our global financial system winds up on Ethereum, uh, then we have real concerns about what if Ethereum went down, right? So there is a financial stability risk, you know, sort of for the system itself, the, the entire platform.
So I was in disbelief when he said that. Because if you think about it, the intrinsic value of fiat currency or illegal tender of an issuing government is highly controversial in itself. Because the fiat currencies of today are no longer asset-backed, right? And that argument that it used to be, well, that was it. It was just an argument. But if you look now, if you look towards Ethereum and that being the representation of what digital currency looks like in the future, well, then hypothetically, you could have cash sitting somewhere in a vault and then said cash being represented on Ethereum and being able to over collateralize that said cash. So create another induction of fiat printing digitally. So no more will you have this concern for fiat currencies going unstable and the Fed having to, you know, jump in there and take care of something. No, at this point, you literally would just print out more digital currency, leave the cash intact and therefore create a whole nother layer of debt so you can circumvent. You literally will be able to not only create more digital currency on said Ethereum platform for these CBDCs, but you'll also be able to hold more debt there as well, too, by collateralizing real world assets on said platform. So it then turns into a bigger Ponzi on top of the, the existing Ponzi. So it's Ponzi's second layer. It's incredible. And it's genius that they thought about this. And the most incredible part is you have the G20 and they're creating these multinational alliances. And this was just from last week's report. And this is all authored by the Federal Reserve, of course, and the Bank of Canada, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Swiss National Bank, Sweden's Bank, Bank of Japan. They all outline properties, what the central banks can and cannot do inside of CBDCs. And they're all they're all focused on the e-wallet. They all think that is going to be the way to control society. I mean, I mean, that's what it's I mean, they can hide behind these laws and hide behind these anti-terrorism things. But in reality, this is where they're going to get that control. And it says right here that these legacy financial technologies settle are going to settle high volumes of transactions and they're going to have to be instantaneously around the clock. This is, these are their words. And they're going to be impervious to cyber attacks and outages, and they need to comply with regulations. And the only way they can regulate this stuff is by controlling the wallet. And so right now, with Bitcoin transactions running on a blockchain network that mask and silos personal data from central actors, while central banks would maintain access and visibility into CBDC payments and identities, they're already painting Bitcoin in a bad light right there. Um, so this has already kind of happened, right? They're already moving towards this. I think it just took me a long time to kind of put the pieces together but it's fascinating that they had they didn't mention one country there and that was china they're kind of letting china do its own thing 
And that's really fascinating to me that these other banks are getting together, but China. I don't know what that says in the future, but when you create a multinational alliance, you would think (laughs) one of the biggest countries in the world, you would kind of invite them over. So we'll see how this turns out. But I do know these are these are weird times, weird times indeed. And when you think about how it all kind of fits together, it's no wonder there's so much uncertainty out there, right, when it comes to digital payments. And when I look at this, this makes me even more bullish on Bitcoin because I realize that in the future, Bitcoin is going to be the most precious thing out there. And it's going to be because it's going to be because of this, right, because of these central bank digital currencies and the amount that they're going to directly create (laughs) out of thin air. Um, There's going to be a lot of manipulation going on and a lot of that stuff we're not going to be able to track, uh, quite frankly. Uh, They'll be able to track, but we won't be able to see any of it. Uh, right. So interesting stuff. But with that, let's get on to quite analysis. Today in Coin Analysis, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. And right off the bat, I want to bring up three different things. But let's let's first get into the good stuff. So Grayscale recorded the largest ever quarterly inflows over one billion in Q3 of this year, making it the third consecutive record breaking quarter year to date. Investment into the Grayscale family of products has surpassed two point four billion. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot of digital currency. Um, But what's exciting is you have the Bitcoin trust had 719 million in just Q3 alone. You also saw a surge in uh, here. Let's see. Ethereum and Litecoin, believe it or not. It's likely because honestly, I mean, when I see stuff like that, to me, the first thing I think about is, you know, the CFTC making both of those commodities in the near future. So that's not I mean, it's probably people in the know that know that. So that's not a surprise to me uh, to see those two up tremendously. Um, it's just a matter of time before the CFTC starts looking at Ethereum as a commodity. Uh, same thing with Litecoin. I think that's inevitable. Um, and you can clearly see the people in the know are making those investments already. Uh, or it's because they like Litecoin and Charlie Lee. <laughs> right? I don't think it's that. <laughs> um, another thing that came out this week was NYDIG raises $50 million in growth equity funding as Stone Ridge Holdings Group announces more than $100 million in Bitcoin as a primary treasury reserve asset. Yeah, this is not surprising. I mean, we've talked about it, you know, for <laughs> for most of the summer. But it, it, like I said, it's a game of musical chairs. People are sitting down. You see these companies are starting to sit down. People are are getting their one percent of Bitcoin at least. Uh, and then once it gets up to, you know, <laughs> once it gets high enough, you'll start seeing more people jump on board. And this is this looks like it's interesting 
or it's it's fascinating. You know, here we were thinking earlier this year that that DeFi was going to be that catalyst for Bitcoin because all roads lead back to Bitcoin. And sure enough, that had helped Bitcoin earlier, you know, for us to get those highs in August. But if you look here uh, recently, a lot of the reason why Bitcoin has gone up here recently is because of of what Square and MicroStrategy and what NYDIG is doing now, where these corporations are actually, you know, buying millions of dollars of Bitcoin and it's hitting the news, you know, because everybody's looking for that scarce asset that's going to appreciate over time. And um, this is that asset that's just going to appreciate over time. Right. It's it's better than gold, <laughs> in my opinion. And a lot of people are recognizing that. Right. Especially with the uncertainty around digital currency. You know, quite frankly, not everybody knows what we know. Right. Uh, not everybody has pieced it together. Right. Um, another thing that was surprising is if this continues, um, is this the is this the thing that causes us to get over 20K here in the short term? Um, we have more catalysts coming here in um, November. Right. We're still waiting to see what happens with PayPal. That could be big, especially if they announce uh, that they also are going to hold <laughs> Bitcoin as a primary reserve asset. Um, we also have, you know, the Bitcoin future settlement happening here. I believe it's November 1st, I think, if I remember. Uh, that always sends Bitcoin's price up right afterwards. We also have the election. Uh, so there's a lot of callus potentially coming, two that we know for sure of, one hypothetically, and then there's always something we just don't know that could occur. Okay, with all of that, now let's jump into the charts because I think this is this is good info here. So of course, you know, I, I, me personally, I love looking at Training Shot. I think he's probably the most accurate chartist out there. Um, and quite frankly, we're gonna stick with him. Um, so he actually has Bitcoin going down in price short term. He sees a short term drop uh, happening here uh, very soon. As a matter of fact, he sees it happening here on the 15th, 16th of this month. So here in the next few days, he sees Bitcoin retesting that low of 11, you know, no, I'm sorry, not the low, the high of 10.8K, kind of where we were about two weeks ago. So he sees us going back down to retest that 10.8, 10.7 level. Uh, and then where we go after that, we'll see. I tend to think that this comes in waves, right? I think we will probably head down towards that level. 10, 8, 10, 7, uh, and then kind of teeter-totter back and forth between 11, 1. And then I think here, once we get towards, you know, this little, you know, 25th, 26th of October, I think that's when you could potentially see Bitcoin start skyrocketing uh, again. Um, and where that price is, I don't know. <laughs> As we get closer, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start talking about it. But it is certain that we are going up, ladies and gentlemen, in November. Like, that's a certainty, right? Uh, in December, it depends how high we get in November, quite frankly. We're going to take this one month at a time, but it is a certainty we'll go up in November. I can tell you that 99.9% .9 being accurate, right? 
Um, here in the short term, we knew we were going to get to 11.5. We knew that's where we were headed. We didn't know what the catalyst was, but lo and behold, it presented itself a square. And if we follow what Trading Shot's doing, he says 10.8. We're at, currently at 11,380, which is, I think it's fantastic. Even if we go down to 10.8, uh, allows people to buy more Bitcoin. Um, but I will say, though, November is going to be a very interesting month because there's going to be either there's either going to be a lot of announcements or no announcements <laughs> or we're going to see Bitcoin surge or it's going to stay like how it has been staying. And then we're going to hit 17K by the end of the year. Like I said, go back to the last episode where we talked about the different scenarios. I'm hoping for that crazy scenario that everybody's predicting crazy, you know, hopium, Bitcoin hopium. I'm hoping that happens. But, you know, we'll see. We will see. But right now, here in the short term, next couple of days, be expecting Bitcoin to drop down in price. Um, we'll see. Unless something else crazy comes out, uh, <laughs> we'll just kind of take it as it comes. But exciting times nonetheless, right? Like these are the like, honestly, all year I've been looking forward to October. I've been looking towards towards November, towards December. I've been looking towards these months, January. Um because this, these are these are the money months. These are the months that you make the most money. These are the months that you're gonna see tremendous returns. Um, it's gonna be awesome. It's just great times. Okay, with that, let's get into that's right future predictions. token analysis. These are future predictions. All right. And if you remember, I said last week that we were going to do a show on altcoins. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that's doing everybody a disservice. Like, quite frankly, Bitcoin is the only digital currency you should be buying right now. Um, And that's just sound advice. Uh, that's sound advice I tell my family, right? Um, and, I'm, and I don't mean to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a Bitcoin bull about it. I, I just mean like it doesn't get any more safer as a return here in the short term or even in the long term. Um, and so I'm, even with that said, I'm still, I'm still betting on some altcoins. Not as many as you know as i would like but still these two i'm looking at here in the short term okay so let me talk about those and like i said none of this is financial advice this is literally what i'm doing these these are these are these are tokens that i'm looking at and we put it in future predictions for a reason you know these are very speculative these are these are going off of rumor stuff Uh, a lot of this is not actual hard evidence that you could take with the bank you know, um, or take to the bank, as they say, as that saying says. Uh, but OK, with all that being said, this is what I'm doing. OK, first one is Cardano. Uh, quite frankly, you know, it's going to land on Coinbase custody here in Q4. It was announced earlier in July. Um, we've looked at previous um, tokens that have entered Coinbase custody in the past. Uh, they usually get in, you know, either November or December. And then at that point, we see a nice little spike, you know, occur. Um, it's happened two other times before. So to me, this seems like a solid bet 
for myself to take. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going to load up and then hopefully we get somewhere in the 63 cents to 53 cent area at some point, either later this year or early next year. Um, but I'm going to take that chance with Cardano. I, I think that is pretty safe as it gets <laughs> when it comes to speculating on cryptocurrencies right now. Um, so that's one for sure. And we've talked about it in the past. So I'm sure you already knew that. The second one is Sia. So you might know that Filecoin is getting launched here this week and a lot of people in the space are talking about it. But Sia has been doing this for oh, quite a while, right? And they actually pronounce it Sia, Sia, Sia. At this point, I don't care. <laughs> but I will say Sia. I should say Sia. That's the correct way. With Sia, you're seeing decentralization happen. And we've actually used it for the audiobook. Uh, or when I, we made that Bitcoin audiobook. We, we uploaded it. I've talked to David a couple times in the past, and he's very transparent about the project. He's, he'll be the first one to tell you that, you know, his token's worthless <laughs> for right now. Uh, but make no mistake, that guy has grit, and he is going after Amazon. Like, he's literally going after Amazon AWS. And I think along with Saya, Filecoin, and Storage, I think you really have some competition there. Um, anyway, there's going to be a big announcement that happens tomorrow. We should probably see a surge with Saya. Right now, it's like three tenths of a cent. Me personally, I've always looked at Saya as a long term bet and I'm still holding it. And I really think that with something like something serious gets announced here in this week uh, with Saya, if that in indeed happens. And they were a part of the only, I think it was them and like, a couple other cryptocurrencies that were part of the Coinbase um, allotment of that they were looking into. Um, quite frankly, I think Coinbase should, you know, have Sia on there. It's probably the only blockchain that's out there right now uh, that is actually doing things, and you can actually use it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I still, I'm still a bullish on Sia, and I think with the news this week, it's going to make make people even take notice even more, especially with Filecoin now entering, you're going to see more people look at other decentralized tokens and make that investment. But Saya has been working for a really long time and they have some really bright people behind them. And I wouldn't bet event, I wouldn't bet against David Vorhit, quite frankly. That's like betting against Charles Hoskinson. I just wouldn't do it. Um, not a lot of those guys in the space, uh, quite frankly. Uh, okay. And I think, I think, I think that's it. Those are the only two I'm looking at. So Saya and Cardano. Okay. You know, I should make it, you know, certain that when we talk about Ethereum and it being a a place for fiat currency to to rein in, I'm not shitting on Ethereum. <laughs> I'm just clearly stating what the CBDCs are going to do to their platform, right? And that's not a bad thing for Ethereum with its growth and in what it becomes 
just like it's not a bad thing for Bitcoin to have people use it for illicit things, right? But at the end of the day, I will say that Ethereum being something like that for a tool for the government to use is kind of scary in a lot of different ways because we know how malleable Ethereum can be, uh, especially these days. It's still early days, but I just hope that when they do move to this platform, that these governments around the world really think about making it transparent. But if they don't, people will exit out into Bitcoin. So 